One of our supporting members wrote in and asked a question. It was so good, I wanted to work it out as, a, as an article and as a podcast. Let me read to you what they sent in to me. Do you ever feel fear when it comes to the responsibility that comes with counseling people biblically? I teach with much fear and trembling, but not just because I am held accountable. When it comes to counseling people one-on-one, I find it fulfilling, yet also extremely terrifying. Does that ever change? Supporting member. It was a very good question, and coincidentally, I was talking to a small group leader yesterday in our local church, and they talked about the the challenges of of doing discipleship. I'm using discipleship and counseling interchangeable here. There are two different things. Discipleship is what every believer is called to do. Uh, Counseling is more formalized. It's more of an intensive private side uh, where you set the person aside, you come aside, and you do some intensive discipleship. I'll call that biblical counseling. But either one, I was talking to a small group leader, and he, he was talking about the challenges of it. There are some insecurities there, and, and where do you get training, and what are some of the key ideas when it comes to discipling others? So this is an important question, and, and I know that every disciple maker has struggled with fear at some point in their journey with the Lord because they are serious about the Great Commission to go out and make disciples But yet there is that fear of man, there's insecurity, there's tentativeness about doing it, and it is perfectly normal. And that's why I wanted to interact with this question in this podcast. The title of the podcast is, What Can I Do About Being Fearful of Discipling Others? You heard what the person wrote in to me. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. I have a 2,000-plus word article Sitting on our website, it is rickthomas.net, and I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I want to give you the latest three testimonies that have come in, and the reason that I do this is because one of the questions that I'm commonly asked is, what what do exactly what do you do? And I don't mind. Actually, I love having that conversation, but sometimes it's just better for the people that the Lord has affected through this ministry to communicate that instead of me. And so I want to share with you from Cheryl and Lydia and Robin. Now, if you want to send in a testimony of what what God has done in your life uh, through our ministry, I would love to hear it because Honestly, it is an encouragement to me, and it's an encouragement to my our team as well. So Cheryl said this, I'm somewhat new to your counseling ministry and have really appreciated what I have learned from you. Thank you so much, Cheryl. That is a, a kind note wherever you are. And then Lydia said this, I, I don't know how I would have made it through my divorce without these truths from your ministry. Very strong. Thank you, Lil- uh, Lydia, and thank you so much for reading our resources and for sharing that testimony. And then Robin wrote in, and I only have an excerpt here because she wrote uh, she wrote a, a good size uh, testimony of what God has been doing in her life, but I'll just give you about three or four sentences out of that. Robin said, 
Rick has hundreds of articles and podcasts that address the challenges and life circumstances we face as Christians. These resources have pulled me out of the pit and helped me to change in a way I have never thought possible. My circumstances have not changed, yet I have changed. I give thanks to God for this ministry. God bless. Thank you so much, Robin and Lydia and Cheryl. And let me make my appeal that any of you that are able, I know every everyone is not, you don't feel inclined And I'm fine with that, but I do want you to know that there's an opportunity here for you to help us to reach people like Cheryl and Lydia and Robin and, uh, well, quite frankly, there are millions more, and we can't do it without you. And so if you're able to support, please do. All right, let's get back to this article. Again, the title, What Can I Do About Being Fearful of Discipling Others? We are called to do this, and these concerns that this individual is asking, they are excellent, and we must explore them. And so what I'm going to try to do in this podcast is to give you a few ideas to settle your soul, specifically if you're struggling with this, and I hope that I can provide you a reasonable path forward. And so what I would hope that you would do, especially if this interests you and in a a specific way because you're struggling this way, I would appeal to you to find a friend, a a close mentoring friend that you can share this article and podcast with and have them appeal to them to give you some feedback about some of the questions that are going to ask you, but also some of the things that I'm going to say. And so here's a summary, three bullet points of the questions that our supporting member asked. Number one, do you Do you feel fear when discipling others? I will tackle that one. Number two, how long does it take to become comfortable when caring for others? And then number three, will it ever change? Well, I'll give you the short answer now. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll change. All right, so let me get into these now. And the first thing that I would say to you is fear Fear is expected. If you do not experience a sense of fearfulness when you care for others, there's something wrong with you. The most experienced disciple makers do not feel fear the way that this individual has described it. That's true. Or how most people think about fear. But skilled biblical counselors and disciple makers are mindful of the sobriety of the task, they never get over that. And so when I say a sense of fearfulness, what I said is, if you do not experience a sense of fearfulness when you care for others, there's something wrong with you. And so when I say a sense of fearfulness, I include the word sobriety, which is why I say there's something wrong with you, with the person who does not have a sense of seriousness for the task of of caring for others. And so you take this word fear and then you expand it out into all of these gradations and every disciple maker should be able to attach themselves to a label that that might not be as intense as, as fear, but yet it has that echo of fear to it, like the word that I'm using here, which is which is sobriety. Though the experienced discipler is not under the control of fear, that's different. 
they do willingly submit to the seriousness of what they are doing. And so the person said in their email to me that teachers are held to a higher standard, and that's right. That's what James 3.1 uh, communicates. And so there is sobriety here, and, and, and we need to take it serious about what we do. Now, some of the novice disciple-makers and counselors, well, yeah, their fear is going to be more intense, even controlling And so there is a progression in maturity with all disciple-makers. Initially, you will be afraid. You will be fearful, which is normal. But the more you do it, that type of fear weakens as your trust in God increases. You're learning how to rely less on yourself and more on the Lord. It's the same process for everyone. And so there should be a sense of fear at every point of your discipleship journey. But the type of fear changes all along. It evolves. It matures. It is similar to the fear of the Lord progression. You understand the fear of the Lord? Initially, we fear Him as being as being terrified of God because we are under his judgment. This is pre-salvation. And so we fear God as we mature in our relationship with him, salvation. The fear changes from that terror and judgment to a reverential respect and and awe and, and worship. All of that can fit with under the umbrella of the fear of the Lord, but there is a difference. There's a spectrum there. You can fear God in a terrified way, and then you can fear God in a reverential worship way. So it's not wrong for the novice Christian to fear, but a fear that the mature Christian has because of his immersion in theological study is different. He, he has added the meat of God's word to his former milk diet, talking about 1 Peter 2, 2. And so the first thing I want to say to you, fear is expected. And the question that you have to answer, is my, is my fear maturing? Is it evolving until a more healthy fear that leads to sobriety as you are aware of the seriousness of what you are doing? The second thing that I want to say to you is that skill takes time. I personally hold to the theory that Malcolm Gladwell put forth in his book, Outliers. He said that it takes 10,000 hours to become proficient in a skill. Now, of course, 10,000 hours, that's not a hard set rule for those with legalistic tendencies. But I do agree with the concept. It makes sense. But not only does it make sense, it has been my experience when training Christians in discipleship and formalized counseling. If you think about a skilled musician or a baseball player or a public speaker or motherhood, you know it takes time. Mothers become great mothers when they, after their children leave leave the home. And and I feel feel that way as a dad as well. As as a young novice dad, it's like I'm kind of, I'm kind of clueless in Seattle, but as I grow and mature, but now my kids are, are virtually gone, and 
but it takes time. I've gotten my 10,000 hours in, but unfortunately, my children were in the laboratory while I was training. Nobody becomes a maestro when they first pick up the baton. The way that I talk about this in our mastermind program is that our students must get their reps in. 10,000 hours might sound better than getting your reps in. Getting your repetitions in is a repetitive thing. You do it over and over again. There's no way around this idea. You have to work at your craft if you want to excel at it. And this is where many Christians stop. They don't want to put in the effort to learn how to care well for others, and that's why I commend this person who who wrote in humbly and honestly talking about their fear. That's why I wanted to craft an article for you because my words, you're you're like here, you want to do it, and and yes and amen. And so I want to fan your fire. But every Christian is not like that. They do want to stop. They will quickly choose to pass it up the chain in the local church, then be obedient to Christ's command to go and make disciples. I don't make this statement with an attitude of unkindness, and I don't want you to hear that because that's not not where my heart is. That's not where my mind is. I understand fully. And the questions that this person is asking merely affirms the expected fear that you should have when taking care of people, especially when you just start this idea of making disciples. I wasn't quite petrified when I started counseling, but I was close to it. I get it. And it's a pastor's dream when his folks are eager to learn and practice soul care. And so I commend you. Because of the 10,000-hour concept, you can expect that you won't do it well initially. There's also no way around the novice phase of soul care. The tension is twofold. You're not good at it in the beginning, and you can't become proficient without doing it. Even watching someone do it, it's okay. That's okay. But they are not you, and you can't learn what you need to know by observing someone. You learn by doing. It would be like learning how to play the piano or catch a football by watching folks do it on YouTube. You won't make the team that way. Becoming proficient at anything does not work that way, and if all you do is sit in the stands watching the pros play, you'll never learn how to do it well. You must get on the field. Our mastermind students, some of them do struggle with that. When they jump on our our forums, for example, there's a tentativeness. There's the inhib. There's the uh, 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 they are inhibited from doing it. And then there is the other matter about your uniqueness. You'll never play the piano or become a football player like anyone else. That's one of the problems with watching someone do it. And it's, it's one of the reasons why watching someone is incomplete. It's, it's okay to a point, but it's incomplete. You want to be you, not someone else. Some of our students have made this mistake. They watch how I respond to people on our free and, and private forums, for example, and then they try to imitate me. That approach is unwise, and it won't work. You have to counsel according to the gifting that the Lord has provided for you. One of the worst things you could do is attempt to force fit yourself into the mold of another person. Try that. It won't work. 
What would happen is you'd become a caricature of yourself, not the authentic you. Whatever that unique you is, you would never be comfortable in your own skin because it's not your skin. You're being somebody else. And guess what? Other people would feel the lack of authenticity between who you are. I know you as a person, but my goodness, who is this person that's discipling me? Don't step into that duality, and so be yourself. Observe others, but, but, but don't try to fit yourself into their molds. And another idea about this is you have to embrace imperfection. You're going to make mistakes. I wish I could tell you something different. How many novice preachers stepped down from the platform and, and started replaying the tape of their sermon? All of them if they have any self-awareness, they know that they need to be better at their craft. I've been public speaking for more than three decades, and, and even after I do that, even after I speak, I replay the tape. I ask Lucia for feedback. But that's okay. It really is. If you're trying, if you're sincere, if you're authentic, and if, if you're humble, you won't make a mistake that will damage anyone. Now, I am not saying that counselors never hurt people. That is not true. In fact, if I implied that or said that, they would be people that would write and say unkind things to me. The sad truth is the dark side of the biblical counseling movement is full of folks who abuse and harm and hurt people. But not just within the biblical counseling community, it's also within the local church and it's also within our culture. There is no corner of our lives to where there are people who hurt people, and counseling office is one of the places where that can happen. It's real. But that is not you, the person who wrote in, the person who asked this question. They are humble, they're sincere, they're trying, they're authentic. Sincere and honest counselors have the Lord's favor on them. Humble disciples know their limits. And when they are harsh or unkind, they ask for forgiveness. When they say something in the wrong way, they are teachable. And, and they insist on others helping them to mature with their craft. I would like to say that I've never hurt anybody in my counseling, but it would be a lie. I have. I have been harsh and unkind and angry and impatient. I mean, there's many descriptors here. It's a part of the process. And I have asked many people in my counseling discipleship career if they would forgive me. By the way, that also includes my family, my wife and my children. Disciple making is not something that you do out there exclusively but yet it is what it it is the air you breathe it's what you do wherever you are and especially in your home all of us are harsh and unkind and angry and frustrated and, and impatient disciple makers at times but if you're humble if you're trying if you're sincere if you're authentic if you're trying to grow there hasn't been a sin that I've committed against my wife or my children that they have that I'm aware of that they haven't forgiven me of because I have asked and they have done the same for me and and none of us are hurt by each other. When you know who you are, 
and you know what your current gifting is, and you have enough self-awareness to stay in your lane and only advance when it's right, you'll be okay. And if you have competent friends who will help affirm where you are, it's those that don't have the skill set. It is those that are pushing beyond their headlights. It is those who think they are something that they are not. They get in a counseling office and they don't have the grace. They don't have the skill set. They don't have the knowledge, the, the depth of knowledge to do it well. Yeah, that can be bad. And that has been bad for many people. And so to combat your fear, you need to become a good sovereigntist. And what I mean is that while the tension is real that you are describing, you must, you have to put the accent mark on God's sovereignty because that too is real. You'll have to decide if you're going to be, if you're going to be a fear-centered centered disciple maker or a God-centered one is your choice. If you need help changing because of fear, inhibition, timidity, or, or anxiety, then please find that help. Perhaps you can come to us. That would be wonderful. We'd love to chat with you, jump on our forums, and let's do that. But let me give you a few tips about how you can mature in your counseling discipleship gift while in the novice stage, knowing that you can't sit in the stands and you have to get on the field. And of course, I'm not suggesting that anybody that's listening to this podcast or the writer of the question that was sent in is a novice. But I do know that there'll be thousands of folks reading this article and listening to this podcast, and and many of them will be new at discipling others. That's why this question is so good. And so I want to give you six ideas. This is not an exhaustive list. Number one, it would be helpful to sit in and observe someone counseling. Hopefully your local church builds that kind of culture where there can be team counseling, where one is leading, the other one can be observing. That would be outstanding. That will break the the ice of what all this is about behind that door. It will demystify it. I've seen so many times at our church we have team counseling like that or people who are observing. And, And the first time that they do that, it's like, oh, is that what that is? Yeah, and so the demystification of it is is critical. Number two, you could become part of a small group where the leader is competent in soul care. How beautiful would that be to go week in and week out to a, a small group where you see discipleship happening in action? A great place to learn and grow in your gift. Number three, observe how a ministry leader in your church cares for others. Uh, cuddle up beside that person or maybe buddy up beside that person and, and start picking their brains. That's number four. Ask skilled disciple makers for ideas and methods to see if you can adapt their perspectives with what you do without you becoming them, of course. You should find a mentor, number five, with whom you can share your discipling situations, the things that are going on in your life, share what is happening, and ask for advice. And then number six, Ask a church leader to give you simple problems that people have so you can come alongside them, but their issues are not involved or complicated. Perhaps they merely need a friend 
practice becoming a friend. One of the things that we do in our mastermind program is requires our, we require our students to answer questions on our free and private forums. This opportunity gives me a way to observe them as I, I try to serve them and to grow in their gift. I also meet with each student monthly to talk privately about them, about counseling, about other things happening in their lives. I do this for the active students that are in our program. And so here's some ideas, some tips on how you can grow in your training and then your final question was, will I ever change? I gave you a short answer. Yeah, of course this is going to change. The more you do it, the better you will become at it. And as mentioned, you cannot speed up this process. And you must get your reps in to counsel, disciple well. But there is one more thing that I do want you to think about. God did not create all disciple makers equally. There are gradations in gifting. Each person has their own strengths and weaknesses, and God's favor on a person means something too. Yeah, I mean, God is the one that raises up and sits people down. There is a reason the best basketball players are the starters and the others serve in other ways. They make, they're excellent for the practice squad and some of them are substitutes and others are great cheerleaders who never see the game unless the team is ahead by, by 40 points. God did not create all basketball players equally. And so I do not know what your gifting limit is, but I know that you have one. And part of what I'm saying to you is subjective. I know that. Like God's favor, that's subjective. And, and to know entirely what your gifts are, that's subjective. But other aspects are not. There is your skill that can be affirmed by others. That's why we do individualized training in our mastermind program. We don't send people into a room and, and I stand and, and teach a group of people because each person is different. So we, we help them individually and uniquely so that we can try to cooperate with God up for the, about this unique person to help them grow within up to their gifting limit. But one caution is to make sure that your burden to care for souls is not greater than your ability to do it at a high level. And I'm talking about counseling, biblical counseling. I don't want to talk you out of disciple making, but you must know your limits so you're in the best possible place to care for others. This is what I was saying a while ago about, about counselors who do hurt people because they are driving past their headlights. Some people are habitually anxious and, and fearful, and to some degree they will always be this way. And though they will find much help through the transformative gospel, they will never iron all the wrinkles out of their sanctification. Now, that's true for all of us. I mean, the truth that I've communicated to you is that none of us will ever be perfect in this life. We'll never get all the wrinkles out of our sanctification. And some people tend to be generally more anxious and, and fearful. They can grow and mature in that. 
but that could be a weakness. And that's why I say to make sure that your burden to care for souls is not greater than your ability to do it at that high level of biblical counseling. Realistic expectations are vital. A burden to make disciples or become a biblical counselor does not mean you have the necessary gifting to be one. And you don't want to be working outside of your God-given skill set, whatever that may be. Everybody should be caring for others. But make sure that you're not driving past your headlights. There is an internal call and an external call. The internal call is your desire to do whatever it is that you want to do. Some people will call this a burden. I have a burden to do this, and I have a burden to do that. That is fantastic. But if that is all that a person has, I mean, not only is that subjective, but it could be dangerous. And so there is the external call, and that's when other people affirm that you have what it takes to do what your burden is. If Christians followed just that advice right there, there would be far less abuse in the church. The title of the podcast is, What Can I Do About Being Fearful of Discipling Others? You're welcome to read this podcast. I've got a video in here. I have an infographic here. I also have a whole bunch of links that you can click on if you want to do more study about this idea. I also have call-to-action questions at the end. There's several of them, and I would encourage you to read them, go through them, and, and then also bring somebody alongside you and talk about this idea of disciple-making. And then, as always, please let us know how we can serve you. This is what we do We are a sanctification center. Our big box store is shoved up into cyberspace so people all over the world can access us, and the road is the internet. And so if you're hearing this podcast, then you can access us, and we would love to talk to you. Cheryl, Lydia, and Robin, thank you so much for your kind testimonies, and thank the rest of you for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.